Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare. A medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine, he is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange, Ministry of Healing and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval. All right, folks, so welcome to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You're listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. As always, it is a pleasure to be here with all of our listeners, where we can talk about our Catholic faith, we can talk about different topics in our Catholic faith, and we can come to uh, terms as to what those topics mean. Um, today's show, we're going to I wanted to find some terms. Uh, I dedicate the show to one of our listeners who uh, reached out uh, when I did the, the our our talk on mercy, on divine mercy for Divine Mercy Sunday. and reached out to me and said, Dr. Sandoval, you mentioned something. You mentioned that despair is the sin that cannot be forgiven. And boy, you guys are wrong. It's not despair. It's final impenitence. Don't you know that? Final impenitence is, is a sin that can't be forgiven, not despair. And I was thinking about that, and I thought, what did I say? So I went back and listened to my show, and I realized, hey, we're actually talking about the same thing. I didn't clarify it the way I should, because the reality is, is despair, or final despair, uh, is really final impenitence. And that is the thing that can't be forgiven. And sometimes when we talk about it, um, especially if, you know, as Jesse says, we're high information Catholics, sometimes we take terms for granted and we'll say, yeah, you know, the sin of despair, it's the only sin that can't be forgiven, which is true if we're talking about final impenitence. And I wanted to clear that up. I don't want to mention the listener's name in case they want to stay anonymous, but I want to tell you, hey, reach out to me. I got a rosary for you for reaching out to me and and uh, uh, mentioning that. And today's show, I want to dedicate, you inspired me actually, I want to dedicate to actually defining terms because there's all these different definitions out there that we need to be aware of when we're talking about Things like hope, despair, anxiety, depression. It's like I always say, there's the social definition and then there's the clinical definition if we're going to talk about anxiety or depression. And then when it comes to despair, there's also the social definition. And then there's the Catholic definition, which are not exactly the same. They kind of tie in, but they're not exactly the same. So let's clear some things up. Let's define some terms and let's see what it means to be uh, to have final impenitence versus the social definition of despair, which we all might experience at one point. But before we get started, let's go ahead and pray the Regina Celli. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. <clears throat> it says, Queen of heaven, rejoice, alleluia. The Son you merited to bear, alleluia, has risen as he said, alleluia. Pray to God for us, alleluia. Rejoice and be glad, O Virgin Mary, alleluia, for the Lord has truly risen, alleluia. Let us pray. O God, who have been pleased to gladden the, word, the world by the resurrection of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, grant, we pray, that through his mother, the Virgin Mary, we may receive the joys of everlasting life. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Well, let's get into today's show. Let's see here. So the first thing I wanted to talk about was let's define some terms and let's see what we're talking about, because if we're going to talk about something as heavy as final impenitence. And a lot of times people ask me, well, geez, Dr. Sandoval, you know, I'm really worried because I don't want to commit the sin. The Lord said that there's one sin that if we commit, <clears throat> we can't be forgiven. And it's a sin against the Holy Spirit. What is that? What does all that mean? You know, I'm really worried about this. I'm worried that I might have sinned against the Holy Spirit. So now I'm damned. 
and we need to clear the air on that. We need to tell ourselves, well, what does all this mean? Let's let's specify. First of all, let's realize that as long as we have air in our lungs, we can always turn to God. As long as we, and even when we come before the throne of God, we can always turn to God. There, there's no such thing as, oh my goodness, I, I committed the sin and I am damned. That is not final impenitence. That's not final despair. We're going to get to that. But there's a lot of emotions that come into play, and all of a sudden the emotions can cloud the thought process. Our emotions can be dulled by sin as well. As we know, when we sin, we lose cognitive ability. We actually lose clarity of thought. We, this is where clarity with charity comes in, because if somebody else can see the truth and what's going on, then with charity, with love, we can correct the sinner, and we can let them know, look, your, your, your cognition is blinded now. You have a dulled cognitive effect, which means that because we sin, we don't always think clearly. I can see things that you might not be able to see, and so I'm going to let you know what's right, and I'm going to treat you with love, and I'm going to teach you what God teaches, and I hope you do the same for me. Because when I fall into sin, I'm not going to think clearly, and hopefully you'll be able to bring me up to speed on what is right or what I might be doing wrong. This is where we're supposed to support each other. But it's important to define terms because emotions get involved when we start talking about things. But let's look at this. Let's look at uh, uh, the different terms that I want to bring up, what they are. Let's define them. And then let's clarify what it means to be in final despair or final uh, impenitence where we're not going to accept God's mercy. The first thing is to consider just emotions. What emotions are, are, are we talking about? Whenever I see people in clinic that can be associated with this, the very first emotion, the main thing, the, the most common mental illness out there is anxiety, believe it or not. That is the most common mental illness across the United States. Now, I say mental illness, but a lot of people are going to say, well, anxiety is normal. We, we should feel anxious. Absolutely. Anxiety is normal. And that's the social definition of anxiety. We, we refer to the normal anxiety that we have. Socially speaking, I can say, gosh, I was feeling so anxious because, you know, this happened. I was waiting uh, for somebody to pick me up and they just weren't showing up. I was worried that something happened to them. Or am I stuck here at the airport, say, or at the bus stop or at the store, wherever they were supposed to pick me up? I started feeling anxious because I had places to go and I started feeling worried. And that's the normal social definition of worry. In fact, I always tell all my patients or anybody I talk to that has anxiety, I remind them that anxiety is very normal and I hope you have it. Because if you live on this planet, anxiety is actually an emotion that helps us. It's for survival. Imagine that you, all of a sudden there's an earthquake and something's going to fall on you. Well, I would hope you get anxious as you see that falling and that you move out of the way. That's how anxiety works. It helps us to survive. It reminds us that things can be dangerous and it keeps us away from danger. And that's a good thing to have. It's a good thing to have for the moment right? It has to pass. Or let's say I remember being in college and having final exams to take. And when it's, you know, the first day of class, the professor would give us a syllabus and show us all these different uh, dates where we're supposed to get ready to take either midterm exams or final exams. You know, the first day of class, you probably don't think of it much. You sit, you sit there and you say, okay, well, show me what you got. You're learning a little bit. But as the time comes closer to the exam, usually the anxiety starts to build. Now, we'll say stress, right? We could say anxious, but we say, man, I'm really stressed out about this test that's coming up. I'm feeling anxious about this test that's coming up. And that's normal. That's good and healthy. And guess what? The closer you get to the test date, the more anxious you're going to get, the more stressed out you're going to be. And in fact, a lot of people, if they haven't studied, will all of a sudden say, oh, I'm going to pull an all-nighter. Now I got to cram. Now I got to read this stuff over and over so that I can so that I can get a good grade on this test. And the anxiety builds. What happens? You take the test, and I hope that after you take the test, it might take a day or two, depending on how you felt you did on the test. 
the anxiety starts to go down. It starts to wane and you don't feel quite as stressed. You start to go about your everyday life. You just wait for the answers and, and that's it. And the anxiety went away. That's normal. That's a normal course of events. Now, there's another type of anxiety we might experience where it actually might not be so healthy because there's actually a bell curve to anxiety. And if the anxiety gets so high, sometimes students might not might be so anxious that they don't even study. They're like, oh, I'm so worried. I'm, I'm too worried to even open the book. Now it's gotten a little bit scary, right? Now it's, well, for the students, it's gotten scary because all of a sudden they're not being productive. The anxiety is so intense that they can't even open the book. They can't even think to study. And that's not going to be healthy because it's not going to help them pass a test. Well, let's say they're there in that state. Do they need to go seek mental health uh, help? Do they need medication? No, what we would recommend is, you know, you got to calm down a little bit. Maybe you got to go exercise, get your mind off of it for a little while, put things into perspective so that you do have that motivation. So anxiety comes down just enough to motivate you to study, but with a sense of confidence, with a sense that you can get some, accomplish something. And that's normal. These are normal states of anxiety that we're talking about. What's clinical anxiety? Let's look at the criteria that we use to define clinical anxiety, because all of a sudden anxiety can change. This is going to tie into our despair because we have to really evaluate how do we feel when we're in despair versus what does the Catholic Church define as despair? And we're going to look at that. So the criteria for anxiety, it's always good to go over these. It's not much there, but uh, if I'm evaluating somebody in the clinic and now I'm wondering, do they have clinical anxiety? Do they actually have anxiety that I might need to treat with medication? All of a sudden, one of the things that I look at, this is, uh, I'm going to give you the official DSM criteria. This is the DSM-5. Excessive anxiety and worry, apprehensive expectation, occurring more days than not for at least six months. So I will ask somebody, how long has this anxiety been going on for? Usually in society, we don't sit there and think, I've been anxious for at least six months. No, it's something that's a little bit more clinical, a little bit more scientific, where we say, let's get some perspective on this. How long have you been anxious for? At least six months? Okay. And what are you anxious about? Well, lots of different events or activities. Um, it could be, you know, what's going on at work? Am I doing well? Or if somebody is taking tests or exams at school and they say, yeah, I've really been worried because I'm worried about this final I'm going to take next year. Uh, and, and gosh, I've been worried for over six months about it. And it's interfering in my life. Okay, we're going to have to look at that. Is that something we need to treat? Now, remember, you're going to have to have some of these criteria, not just one, but you have to have these criteria in total to uh, experience anxiety or clinical anxiety. Now, the person finds it difficult to control the worry. Remember, I said we got to take things into perspective. You got to take a step back, maybe exercise, get your mind off of things. Does the anxiety go away or does it remain? Is it still there no matter what you do to try to relax? Okay, the next one is, the anxiety and worry are associated with three or more of the following six symptoms. So three or more of the following six symptoms with at least some symptoms present for more days than not, again, over the past six months. Let's go over these six symptoms and you got to have at least three or more of these. One of them is restlessness or feeling keyed up or on edge, being easily fatigued, difficulty concentrating or mind going blank, irritability, muscle tension, sleep disturbance, difficulty falling or staying asleep, or restless, unsatisfying sleep. So if these are in place, if you have three or more of these, more than likely we're going to look at, we're going to be looking at, do you have a, a condition of clinical anxiety at this point? Okay. So let's look at the next part. The disturbance is not better explained by another mental disorder. In other words, you don't have anything else. You don't have schizophrenia. You don't have depression. You don't have anything else that might be contributing to this. The other thing is, 
It's not confined to features. The, the focus of the anxiety and worry is not confined to features of an Axis one disorder, in other words, another mental health disorder. And the disturbance is not attributable to physiological effects or illness. So that's for anxiety. We're going to talk more about this when we come back from the break, but it's important to define this because we're going to look at the way the Catholic Church defines certain things, which is different than we think about. More after the break. All right. Well, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You're listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. Wanted to remind all of our listeners, uh, this Saturday, May 7th, if you're around the historic Sacred Heart Chapel, we are going to be having our marriage and family conference. Show up 9 o'clock in the morning. We'll be there. We're going to have a whole day of conferences and talks. It's going to be myself, Dr. Sandoval, with uh, Mary Danielle Barber and Terry Barber giving talks on the most important topic of the sacrament of marriage. What does it mean today's world? What does it mean for us as married couples that we are a sacrament? How do we raise our children and what do we uh, have them expect in terms of a family? Really that fourth commandment is going to come into play, honoring your father and mother, because when we look at that fourth commandment, boy, it's not just about honoring your father and mother, but I always ask parents, do you feel that you're worthy to be honored by your children? How are we viewed by our children? These are important things to consider. We're going to discuss these topics and more. I've got a lot of listeners writing to me and telling me, gosh, you know, I feel that my wife and I aren't getting along. I think that we have different personality styles. I think that, you know, our marriage is in, in, in shambles. What do we do? I feel spiritually attacked in our marriage. These are important topics that, you know, you come on over to the conference and we can talk about one-on-one. But today we're talking about something that you might be experiencing as a result of, say, uh, not having a good relationship in the marriage or things along those lines. And those are right now anxiety and despair. We want to um, <clears throat> talk about what the definitions are, what do they mean, so that we understand when we're talking about them with each other, what we're trying to say specifically. Um, this is what's important. I was going through the difference between social anxiety, the way we talk about being anxious every day, and the actual definitions of anxiety. Remember, in the clinic, what I'm looking at is, have you been anxious for greater than six months is it hard to control that worry? Is it associated with some of these symptoms? We reviewed these. It's either restlessness or feeling keyed up or on edge, being easily fatigued, just get tired really quickly, difficulty concentrating in the mind going blank, this happens, um, irritability, muscle tension, and difficulty falling asleep or staying asleep, or you don't have satisfying sleep. In other words, there's not good quality of sleep. Remember, the anxiety, if you are experiencing anxiety, it's not due to another uh, mental health illness. Um, it's not better explained by another mental health disorder. It's not explained uh, due to the direct effects of using drugs either or any other medication that you might be taking. So these are important things to consider. Um, and that's how we define anxiety. A little bit different, right? Because if somebody's saying in society, your friend comes up to you and says, gosh, you know, I'm feeling really anxious. Are you going to say, well, wait a minute. Have you experienced this for six months or longer? Have you been using any drugs that could be making you anxious? Usually we don't say that. We say, what happened? What's causing you to feel anxious? Remember, anxiety is a normal emotion. And in society, we use the word anxiety and we say that we're anxious all the time, but we don't always mean medically anxious, right? So it's important to define these terms. It's important to see also that there is a difference. Another one is depression. Boy, okay, so what's depression like? Depression is the next most common mental health illness that we treat. And in society, what's our social definition of depression? 
And we say we're sad. We're bummed out. We've got the blues. And we can say, gosh, I'm feeling so depressed. I just found out these bad news. My my dog who I've loved, who's been faithful for 15 years, is I'm going to have to put him down. I'm feeling really bummed out. I'm feeling really depressed about that. We use that term, and it's appropriate to use that term in a social setting. And it's very common and correct, right? We say, I'm depressed. I'm sad. I'm bummed out. How is that different from the clinical definition of depression. Well, clinical definition of depression, again, just like anxiety, we were talking about having anxiety for six months. The clinical definition of depression is five or more of the following symptoms that I'm going to read off that you've been having for two week period. Okay. And usually there is a change from previous functioning. In other words, <clears throat> it goes on to say depression or mood and or loss of interest, pleasure must be present exclude symptoms clearly attributable to, attributable to another medical condition. So, you know, we say if you're going to, if I'm going to uh, treat you with depression, I got to make sure that you don't have something like hypothyroidism or another medical issue that might be causing the depression as a secondary issue because that can happen. So we're always looking at what's going on medically. We want to do a full, full medical workup before we give you any kind of mental health diagnosis like depression or anxiety. But let's, let's listen to these symptoms. Remember five or more of these over the same two week period and there's also been a change in your functioning. In other words, you're not functioning well at work. Things are different around the family. The hobbies you normally like, if you like gardening, if you like going on a skateboarding or whatever it is, you no longer find interest in. Well, let's look at these symptoms. Um, depressed mood, obviously, it sounds a little redundant, but that's the first symptom is depressed mood. And that you have had it most of the day, nearly every day for the two weeks. Um, and it could be subjective. Now, this is important to consider. Okay, subjective meaning feeling sad, feeling empty, and feeling hopeless. We're going to have to keep that word hopeless in mind because it's going to be important when we're talking about despair. That word hopeless is key. Okay, so with depression, I feel hopeless. Um, this is also observed by others. Okay, other people will say, "Gosh, you you look tearful. You look sad. You know, you, it's obvious that you're you're giving this uh, giving off an aura of depression, as we say, that other people can see." Okay. If you're a kid or an adolescent, it shows off as an irritable mood. So instead of being necessarily depressed, you might be more irritable acting up in school or something along those lines. So that was the first symptom. It was depressed mood. The next symptom is loss of interest or pleasure. And that goes on to say markedly diminished interest or pleasure in all or almost all activities, most of the day, nearly every day. And it may be, so, again, subjective that you feel that way or it's observed by others. Weight loss or weight gain, depending on how you're feeling. Insomnia, meaning you can't sleep, or hypersomnia, you're sleeping too much. And that's all, again, nearly every day for two weeks. Psychomotor agitation or retardation. And what does that mean? So these are fancy terms, well, not really fancy terms, scientific terms, mental health terms that we use. Psychomotor, meaning that um, agitation, if it's psychomotor agitation, meaning that the brain and the body, everything's a little bit too active. You can't sit still. You got to be moving. You don't know why. You're picking things up, putting them down, and you don't really have much of a purpose. And there's a big, there's a big agitation. People might tell you, "Gosh, you seem like you're a little bit all over the place. Calm down, sit down. You know, you got to relax a little bit." Um, or psychomotor retardation, as we call it, is when the person is just kind of sitting and they want to do things but they can't do things. Why? Because the, in their mind, they've probably already done it a few times. Gosh, I need to do the dishes. I need to go out and, and go to the grocery store. I need to get my car in for an oil change. And in my mind, that's happening. I've already I've already done it. I've already seen myself doing it. I get off of the couch. I do all these things and they're already done. And guess what? In my mind, I do it again, but I can't get my body to follow that. So that's psychomotor retardation because the mind wants to move, but the motor part, the body part is not following what the mind is doing. There's a disconnect. The other symptom is fatigue. Okay. Obviously a loss of energy. You just can't get up. I feel like lead. I just can't get up super tired. Now, 
Here's another one that's going to be important because we talked about hopelessness, feeling worthless or excessive inappropriate guilt. That could be a sign of depression. Okay, so feeling guilty, maybe for no reason, says nearly every day, guilt may be delusional. Okay, not merely self-reproach or guilt about being sick. In other words, guilt might be delusional. What does that mean? I have a delusion about guilt? Yeah, actually, sure. When people are depressed, they can actually feel guilty for no reason. They're at work and they say, I think I'm going to get fired. Why? I don't know. I just got a feeling they're going to, something bad's going to happen and it's going to be blamed on me. That's just the feeling I've got and I'm going to be fired. You know what? I brought the wrong pen to work because they're going to see this pen and I just can't, I don't know. They're, they're going to let me go. Somebody told me they didn't like my shoes. I'm in a bad place. I feel guilty. I did something wrong. There's this really heavy feeling of guilt. This is important to consider too when we're talking about the definition of despair because it's going to be important to define what do we talk about when we say despair socially versus how the church defines despair. This is very, very important to consider. Okay. Now, decreased concentration. A lot of people will come to me and say, doctor, I think I have ADHD. I don't know what's going on. And they get very sad when I tell them, no, I think you're experiencing depression. They say, no, 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 no. I just can't make a decision. So yeah, that's part of it. Part of depression is not being able to concentrate. And this again happens nearly every day for the course of two weeks at minimum. And it says that the person can be indecisive. They may be subjective. And this could be subjective or absorbed by others. So I might be able to notice that or other people might tell you, gosh, it seems like you can't make a decision. What's going on? You got to pick something. Okay. This can be part of depression. And then, of course, thoughts of suicide or death. Now, this could be recurrent, and it's not just a fear of dying, but thoughts of death, meaning like we're kind of obsessed with death, thinking about death a lot, recurrent suicidal ideation without a specific plan, or you can have a specific plan for suicide. So when it comes to suicide, what I always ask is, do you feel like you want to hurt yourself? Just because somebody tells me that they want to hurt themselves doesn't make me jump and say, hey, I got to get you to the hospital right away. We're going to intern you and we're going to we're going to get you uh, uh, in there against your will. Not necessarily, because the question is, where are you at? Are you just having thoughts of death, thoughts of dying? Do you have a plan? Have you already thought this is how I want to do it? And then most importantly, do you have an intent? Have you or do you already have a date set? Do you have all the material that you might think you might be using? Do you have a specific plan that you feel you're going to carry out? So we got to ask these specific questions, right? This is the difference between the clinical definition of certain things and the societal definition. Now, there's a few additional symptoms we need to consider when we're talking about depression, and those include, does this cause clinically significant distress, distress or impairment in social, occupational, or other important areas of functioning? Remember, I said it's not just about being sad. It's about, I can't get my work done. It's about, I can't go out with my friends like I normally did, or I'm just not feeling like myself. These are important things to consider if I'm going to say, gosh, I think you're experiencing depression. Okay. Another thing to consider is uh, it's not attributable, attributable again to a physiological effect of using a drug or being uh, sick with something. You know, gosh, if somebody has the flu and they tell me that they're feeling down, depressed, but, and they have psychomotor retardation because they can't get out of bed and they're feeling out of it, I'm not going to diagnose them with clinical depression. I'm going to say, yeah, you've got the flu. You're knocked out for a while. Go ahead and rest up, take some fluids, maybe get a little Tylenol in your system and you're going to feel better, right? Now, the symptoms might look the same, but we have to be realistic and we have to be logical. This person has an illness. They're not experiencing clinical depression, but they could be experiencing symptoms of what would be considered depression due to flu-like symptoms, right? So it's important to consider. Again, this cannot be considered with another uh, mental illness, if they have, if they suffer from something like schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, then we have to look at, is that just clinical depression or is this attributed to something much bigger? Um, and they don't have any history of manic or hypomanic episodes. 
it's important to define these terms and define them differently or think about how we're defining them in terms of there is a difference between the way we talk about these things in society, the way we talk about them in regular conversations versus when we talk about them from a clinical or official, officially defined point of view. Why is this important? Because when it comes to despair, we have to look at the same thing. Now, when it comes to despair, what's the social definition of despair? It's pretty much a different uh, uh, dictionary definition of despair. If we're going to look it up, despair can be a couple things. It can be a noun and it can be a verb, okay? If we're going to talk about it as a noun, the noun is the complete loss or absence of hope, okay? Now, the dictionary I was looking up, and this is Oxford Languages, um, gave the example of saying, in despair, I hit the bottle, meaning like somebody wasn't feeling good, they had a loss or absence of hope, and so they started to drink, right, to try to feel better. We, we know that definition of despair, and I like to compare it to what I described here with anxiety or depression, because when we talk about despair in society and say, oh, I'm feeling despair, remember with depression, there was a lack of hope. There was hopelessness, feeling sad, empty, and hopeless, and that was part of the depressed mood component of major depressive disorder. It's important to remember that because when we say, oh, yeah, I was in despair, and despair, I hit the bottle. Despair could be, I lost my job. Um, I don't know what I'm doing financially. I was ruined. I tried to put all my money in the stock market and it went away. Whatever it is, um, I hit the bottle, so I decided to go drink. A lot has happened to a lot of people during uh, quarantine. People felt great despair, started to use drugs and substances. And we're going to look at some of the emotions attached to social despair. This is going to be very different from the way the Catholic Church defines despair. There's going to be a little bit of similarity, but we have to look at what are the definitions of despair according to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and how does that compare with final impenitence? More when we come back from the break. All right, folks, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You're listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. As always, I am your host, Dr. Luis Sandoval. Always happy to be here. Always happy to be talking about our Catholic faith. Remember, I always say we need to think like Catholics so that we can live like Catholics, so we can be Catholic. And today we're doing a lot of Catholic thinking um, because it's important to define terms. It's important to understand what we're talking about because it's important to see how the Catholic Church View thing, views things, define things, and in the magisterium, essentially, speaking for Christ, how, how are they speaking for Christ? What does it mean when we want to accept God's mercy, and yet we're worried about despair, we're worried about final impenitence, we're worried about sinning against the Holy Spirit, against God's mercy? How do we do that? Because all of a sudden, a lot of people are worried about, gosh, if I commit this sin, and all of a sudden I fall into despair, and I'm feeling despair about it, did I just commit the sin of despair? depends on how we look at the definition of it. So today we're looking at definitions of a few things. Remember, when we feel that we're in social despair, right before the break, we're talking about social despair and what it means is defined by dictionaries, how we talk about it in society. What it really means is a complete loss or absence of hope. So the example that I was giving before said, in despair, the sentence said, in despair, I hit the bottle. So I was feeling so bad that I decided to go drink. You could easily say, I did drugs. You know, I decided to go and um, do whatever it was that was going to take my mind away from my worries, from my feeling bad, from my uh, feeling down, from feeling a few different things. Now, there's some synonyms associated with this. So words that would be similar to despair, according to the dictionary, these are similar words. 
Hopelessness. Remember, I talked about that in major depressive disorder. One of the signs of depression can be hopelessness. I don't feel any hope. I don't feel like there's any hope for me. Okay. So here, hopelessness, desperation, distress, anguish, pain, unhappiness, dejection, depression, despondency, gloom, melancholy, melancholia, misery, discouragement, pessimism. Okay. The opposite would be hope and joy. So we talk about this all the time in society. And so a lot of us might be thinking, well, Dr. Sandoval, I have felt that before. Being in distress is a sin. And it's it's a sin against the Holy Spirit. It's against the sin of God's mercy. Well, then did I already sin because I felt like I've been in distress before? Not the way the Catholic Church defines it. Remember, we've got to think about these things. I have felt despair before, the way we talk about it socially not necessarily the way we talk about it in, the, in our Catholic faith. Okay, so we talked about the noun dis despair. Verb despair just means to lose hope or to be without hope. So the action of losing the hope. And a lot of the, the uh, example that they give was a little redundant. We should not despair. Well, what could I say? You know, when people are in the middle of war, it's easy to despair. What's going to happen? If I have to get away from my house, there's going to be bombings. There's going to be a lot of death around me. I could easily lose hope. I could lose hope for what? I could lose hope for life. I could lose hope that I'm going to survive. I could lose hope that I'm, my life is going to be like it used to be. There's different ways to lose hope, but the question is, what are we losing hope in? Okay, now we're getting a little bit closer to how do we have to define God's mercy, especially when we're looking at the situation of despair. Okay, so what am I losing hope in? So an example could be, you know, currently there's a war in the Ukraine. I'm sure that a lot of the people in the Ukraine feel despair. They've seen family members pass away. They have lost their homes. They've had to emigrate to other places. They're refugees now. It's a very difficult, difficult situation. I don't know that they that they feel a lot of hope or joy at that time. They could easily feel despair. Some people might feel hope. Some people might say, you know, things aren't going well here, but I'm going to look forward to whatever God has in store for me. So they might not have hope that their lives will be what they used to be, but they might have hope in God. So remember, it depends on what we're putting our hope in. We're getting a little bit closer now to the, the Catholic definition of why this is important to define these terms. When I read about despair, there was a lot of emotion involved, right? When we talk about the definition, hopelessness, desperation, distress, anguish, I think we've all been there, right? At some point or another, it's kind of like anxiety. That's how we feel. If I look at my sins, I can feel despair. Now, you're saying, well, hang on, Dr. Sandoval. You look at your sins, and now you're feeling hopeless, desperation, distress. Oh, you just sinned against the Holy Spirit. Not exactly, because I'm talking about social despair, not Catholic despair. We're going to look at that definition right now in just a second. Let's give a few more definitions of the social despair component. So the social despair is, I could say, gosh, you know, when I was a little kid, my dad was at work and he had bought himself a brand new lunch pill for work. He was so proud of it. He hadn't used it yet. And I was playing around with it and I broke the handle. Oh man, boy, I was in despair. My dad's going to get so mad at me. Is he going to spank me? Is he going to punish me? What's he going to do? I don't know. I'm just scared because I know that I did something wrong and, and boy, there's going to be a punishment associated with it. Now the question is at that point, yeah, I'm afraid of the punishment, but do I care about my dad still? Do I love my dad? Do I hope that my dad's still going to take care of me, even though he's mad about something that could have happened? Yeah, he's still my dad. I don't think all of a sudden he's going to not put food on the table for me, or he's going to tell me I have to go live somewhere else. I did something wrong. 
yeah, I'm going to have to make up for it. There's going to be a punishment for it, but I don't see myself leaving the house, you know, especially as a young kid, you know, you're four or five years old or you're 12 years old or 13 years old, you do something, you upset your parents. I don't see too many parents kicking their kids out of the house. We're not going to talk about those extreme cases where it does happen. Yes, I have counseled children and families where that does happen. And we're going to talk about the general loving parents that we imagine, um, at least that we hope to imagine, uh, where, gosh, a kid does something wrong. That's what we expect. We expect that there that there's going to be a consequence involved, but they're still part of the family, right? The, the, we got to make up for it. We got to move forward. Okay. So that's what happens. But did the kid despair for a moment? Sure. By societal terms, the kid despaired. They're feeling gloomy. They might've gone to go hide, right? They might've said, God, I don't want my dad to find me right now. I better go hide. I feel uh, scared. I feel melancholy. I feel misery. I feel discouragement, pessimism, hopelessness, desperation, distress, anguish. We, I mentioned all these things that are equal to despair. They're synonyms. And we feel that many, many times in our lives. It's not uncommon. Uh, we're afraid of consequences or repercussions. Now, like I said before, what if we sinned and we say, gosh, I got a feeling God's not going to forgive me for my sins. I don't know. I, I don't think he's going to forgive me. I'm scared. I just don't think God can forgive me. I feel like I'm in despair. I, I really don't think God's going to forgive me. That's very different, actually, from the Catholic Church definition. Why? Let's take a look. Let's take a look. Because, boy, what I said right now sure sounds like like the despair. It sure sounds like the despair that, that we don't uh, uh, want to fall into. But is it the social definition of despair that comes with anxiety, that comes with worry because we did something wrong, we're afraid of the consequences, or is it the Catholic Church definition of despair? Well, how does the Catholic Church define despair? Let's look at paragraph 2091. Okay, and the first commandment is also concerned with sins against hope, namely despair and presumption. We're not going to get into presumption today. We're just talking about despair. And let's look at how the church de defines it. By despair, man ceases to hope for his personal salvation from God, for help in attaining it, or for the forgiveness of his sins. Despair is contrary to God's goodness, to his justice, for the Lord is faithful to his prom promises and his mercy. Okay, Dr. Sandoval, I thought you just said that you were in despair and you were worried because God's not going to forgive you for your sins and you were concerned. But then do doesn't the church just say that, that you lose hope that God's going to forgive you for your sins? It's a little bit different. If we're looking at the social despair component, I hope that God forgives me for my sins. I'm worried that he won't, but I hope that he does. I haven't lost the hope in God. I've lost hope that what I did was right. I've lost hope that you know, there's going to be a consequence to it. I've lost hope that I'm going to have a happy life or my life will be the same because I sinned, but I want to make up for it. Gosh, God is not going to forgive me for the sin. I feel sad about that, right? If I think of it that way, but do I hope he would if he extends his hand out and says, of course, I forgive you for your sins. Do I accept that? If I do, then I'm talking about the social definition of despair, right? That's the social de definition of despair, where I say, I just don't feel like God's going to forgive me. I feel so bad about this. I want to make up for it, but I don't know how. I don't think God's going to forgive me. It's no different than when we're in a relationship and we do something to hurt somebody else and we feel really bad and we want to go up to them and we want to apologize because, boy, I feel really bad about what I did. I don't know how to make up, make it up to them. I feel like I'm in a bit of despair. I feel hopeless. I feel you know, dejected. I feel pessimistic. I feel like they don't want to be my, they're not going to want to be my friend, but I still want that friendship. I want to be with them. I got to go apologize. I don't know what they're going to do about it, but I'm going to do my part. And boy, I have hope that maybe our friendship can be rekindled. And if they say, no, I'll go away, but I want that friendship. I want to be there with them. That's a social despair. That's a social anxiety that we have. That's a social hopelessness, if you will, that we have. 
How's that different from the church definition of it? You got to look at this. Let's read that again because there's one very important key, okay? By despair, man ceases to hope for his personal salvation from God, okay? For help in attaining it or for the forgiveness of his sins. Despair is contrary to God's goodness, to his justice, for the Lord is faithful to his promise and to his mercy. A couple of things I would look at. The first thing is this definition of, of despair does not discuss any emotions. It discusses a virtue, right? It discusses the virtue of hope. We talk about the emotion of hope, not necessarily the virtue. So if we're talking about social despair, hopelessness is an emotion. Notice that it's tied to depression, hopelessness. It's not talking about the virtue of hope. The virtue of hope is that even if I feel down, if I feel scared, if I feel worried, I still have a hope that God will love me, and I'm going to present myself to God, even with my sins, as embarrassing as they are, as shameful as they are, I'm going to present myself to God, and if God extends his mercy to me, I feel like I'm in social despair, but I hope that he forgives me. I hope that I can make it to heaven. I feel really bad. I feel like God's not going to forgive me. I feel that way, but I hope he does. The problem is if we say, nah, I don't even hope. I don't even hope. Notice the church definition does not include emotions. It includes a virtue. It's losing that virtue of hope. That is a problem because now if I don't have that virtue. What's the difference between the virtue and the emotion of hope? The virtue of hope is the one that tells me, I don't know what I'm doing all the time. I don't know if God's going to forgive me, but I hope he does. I want to be in heaven. And if I want to be in heaven, if God gives me even a little opening in the sky, move the clouds a little bit and gives me a little bit of blue sky, I'm going to take it. I'm going to try to get there. You know, I hope that that this is going to happen for me. And in fact, I know that God's the only one who can forgive my sins. I know that. Um, I hope he does. But I'm in despair. The, the despair part is that I feel hopeless. I feel like God's not going to forgive my sins. But I want him to. The fact that I want him to, I have the virtue of hope. Not the emotion part, but the virtue of hope. The hope that I put my faith in God. Regardless of what my emotions are, I put my faith in God. We've got to separate the emotions from the facts. Can God forgive my sins? Absolutely, he can. Am I going to fall into this position where it doesn't matter? We're going to talk about that when we come back from the break, because that's what leads us to the Catholic definition of despair. We're going to look at examples of that, because this is where it's going to be important to define, where am I at? Do I still want God to forgive me, even if I feel a certain way? Then I haven't lost the virtue of hope. I might feel the emotion of hope different from the virtue. More after the break. All right. Welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You're listening to the Dr. Louis Sandoval Show. Today, we are talking about how can we distinguish between the emotions and the virtues, and more specifically, we're talking about the emotions of depression, anxiety, despair, versus the Catholic Church definitions of despair and vinyl impenitence. It's important to look at this because a lot of times, especially if you hear any of us uh, on the radio talking about despair as being the, the one sin that can't be forgiven, remember, we're really talking about final impenitence or final despair. I was listening to a talk by Father Chris Alar. If anybody's ever heard of the Divine Mercy Fathers, great talks by Father Chris Alar. I highly recommend them, of course, you know, aside from the Virgin Most Powerful Radio talks, but great talks. And he, he gives this great talk on Divine Mercy. He does talk about how despair is the sin against the Holy Spirit that cannot be forgiven. But remember, we're always talking about 
final despair or final impenitence, as we say, where we're before the throne of God and we reject them. Well, right before the break, we were talking about what's what's the church definition of despair? Let's look at that again one more time. The Catholic Church in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, verse 2091. The first commandment is also concerned with sins against hope, namely despair and presumption. By despair, man ceases to hope for his personal salvation from God, for help in attaining it, or for the forgiveness of his sins. So man loses all hope or ceases to hope for personal salvation, for help in attaining it, or for the forgiveness of his sins. And despair, it says, is contrary to God's goodness, to his justice, for the Lord is faithful to his promises and his mercy. Now, I mentioned here that we're talking about the virtue of hope, not the emotion of of hope, not the... the, excuse me, the virtue of hope versus hopelessness, the emotion of hopelessness. In society, we always talk about, I feel like I'm in despair. It's an emotion, um, but it doesn't go against having hope in God. I might feel hopeless, but not uh, lose my hope in God. How can we best explain this? It's kind of like any parents out there, I hope, you know, we love our children, but has anybody of you ever experienced where you say, you know, I love you because you're my child, but I really don't like you right now? I don't like what you're doing. I don't like how you're talking to me. I don't like how you're rebelling. I don't like what you're doing, but I haven't stopped loving you. It's just like that. The I don't like you component is I have this emotion where I'm not really liking you. It's really hard to like what you're doing because you're upsetting the family. I've seen this happen a lot. Parents, unfortunately, you know, their kids get into drugs. Their kids go run with the wrong crowd. They get into crime. They're in jail. They say, no, I don't like what you're doing, but does a parent ever stop trying to help them or love them? No, they still love them. The virtue of love, the intellectual virtue of love, the intellectual virtue of hope for God, that can still be there, even if the emotions cloud how we're feeling. We can feel hopeless. We can feel like we don't like somebody, right? But intellectually, I can say, yes, intellectually, of course, I still love you. That's why it hurts. And I can say the same thing. Of course, I still hope in God. That's why I feel hopeless because I know I've hurt him. I know how great God is and I feel really bad. I feel like there's no hope for me, not that God cannot forgive my sins. That's important to consider. Um, Even though sometimes we think that, sometimes we will feel like, I don't think God can forgive this. This is a big sin. I don't feel that way, but I want him to. I want to be with God. I still want to be in heaven and I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I'm not telling God that he's wrong. I'm just saying, I feel like this is a heavy burden. Boy, if God extends his mercy to me, I'm going to take that. No problem. Okay. See, I hope we see the difference there where I still have hope in God, even if I feel hopeless. So the despair part is where now I no longer hope in God intellectually, where I've made a decision, where I've said, I'm not going to hope in God. God is not the person for my salvation. God is not somebody who I'm going to look to. Well, what happens in final impenitence? Let's read what the Catholic the Catechism says there. Paragraph 1864. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. There are no limits to the mercy of God. So that's key right there. There are no limits to the mercy of God, meaning that whatever we've done, God can forgive. So God's love is always there. God's mercy is always there. And we can't match it. God's mercy is always going to be so much more than we can imagine. It's kind of like saying, you know, I'm in debt. I owe a lot of money. I don't even know what I owe. I owe $3 million. Who can possibly forgive that debt? And God comes over and says, $3 million is nothing. I've got billions and billions and gazillions and an infinite amount. $3 million is like five cents. Come on. I can forgive that. And we say, gosh, we try to make it too big. But let's keep reading here. And it says, there are no limits to God's mercy, but anyone who deliberately 
refuses to accept his mercy by repenting, rejects the forgiveness of his sins, and the salvation offered by the Holy Spirit, such hardness of heart can lead to final impenitence and eternal loss. Again, remember, what did we say before that? Despair is goes against God's mercy. It's contrary to God's goodness, to his justice, and his mercy. And what are we saying in final despair or final impenitence? Since there are no limits to God's mercy, anybody who deliberately refuses to accept his mercy by repenting rejects the forgiveness of his sins and the salvation offered by the Holy Spirit. So if we are in constant true despair, where we feel like I'm not turning to God for the forgiveness of my sins, I really don't care. Remember, this is different than feeling anguish and despair. So, so socially speaking, the way we talk about in society, this is Catholic Church definition is, I don't hope in God. That's the Catholic Church definition of despair. Nope, I don't hope in God. He is not who I'm turning to. I don't care about getting forgiveness of my sins. I really don't care about it. And you know, it's, I'm not turning to God for anything, and I don't even care to get the forgiveness. I don't care about God's mercy. I'm turning away from it. Now we're talking about despair. Notice there was not this whole big emotion involved. There wasn't anguish and sadness and anxiety. When that's involved, I can work with that. I can say, you're feeling all this because the truth is, even though you're feeling hopeless, the truth is you really want to be with God. The, the reason you're feeling anxious is because you're worried that something was broken and you want to fix that. The Catholic definition of despair is there's not even any emotion involved necessarily. It's just, that's just not what I choose to do. I choose to not think about God. I choose to not be with God. Can we give an example of this? Well, Dr. Sandoval, when does that happen? Working in deliverance ministry, sometimes we see this. Very rare, but sometimes we see this. Have you ever heard of somebody who's perfectly possessed? Perfectly possessed person. They're, they do exist. They're, they're in CEOs and companies. They're people who are highly functioning. They're very smart people. But somebody who's perfectly possessed, now we all know what possession is, where the, you know, the devil takes over somebody's body, not their soul, but their body. If somebody's perfectly possessed, they have chosen this. They look forward to going to hell. They've decided on this path already. They've decided that they want to be possessed. They want to spend time in hell. And they feel that they've developed a friendship, a familiarity, something with the demons. And they look forward to, on their death, going to hell. They've made this choice. They're not emotional about it. It's it's almost the equivalent of saying, you know, I'm choosing this flavor of ice cream. That's what I'm going to choose. And you tell somebody, but there's poison in there. I get what you're saying, but that's what I'm going to choose. But you're going to die. I know what you're saying, but that's my choice. I have no emotion with it. Notice that I'm not bothered by it. It's just what I choose. That's losing hope in God because now they tell me, but you're going to be perfectly possessed. Why wouldn't you turn to Christ? Why wouldn't you turn to God? That's my choice. I've made a choice. My hope is not in God. My hope is elsewhere. I've made that choice. And so when the mercy of God is presented to me, it's not even, it, 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 it's not simpatico with me, as we would say. It's not something that I would even consider. No, I've already made my choice. Notice that it can be a very, very calm choice. It doesn't have to be full of anguish. It doesn't have to be full of concern. Because if you are full of concern, I would say, mm, something's not right there. I think you actually really do want God's mercy. I think you want to go to heaven. I think that you want to be with God. You want to accept his mercy. But again, if somebody chooses to, again, let's look at this, anybody who deliberately refuses to accept his mercy by repenting. So you have to deliberately say, I don't want God's mercy. That's the sin of despair. That's the sin of final impenitence would be final despair, meaning that once I am at the throne of God, once I am, uh, after I passed away, I have my final chance here, my, my judgment before God, and he extends to me his mercy, 
And I, at that point, deliberately, on purpose, say, no, no, thank you. That's the sin of despair. That's final despair, final impenitence. I choose to reject God's mercy, okay? So we have to really make that distinction. I'm glad that uh, that listener reached out to me. And again, reach out to me. Send me an email. Send me your address. I got a rosary for you. Thank you for pointing that out because it really made me think about the show and to really define things because I think a lot of people are worried about, I'm afraid that I've committed that sin against the Holy Spirit and I'm going to go to hell. And that's not the case. The case really comes to, you know, if we're in a, it really comes to indifference. So in other words, let's say that you're in a relationship and you've broken up, okay? And you say, I, I can't be with that person anymore. I hate that person. Well, guess what? There's even an emotion there. I would say you're still tied to that person. If you still have this emotion of, as we say in society, hate towards that person, I can't stand that person, there's something there. There's something that ties you to that person. That emotion still ties you to that person. The opposite of love, a lot of people say, is hate. But in reality, it isn't. If you want to look at it from more of a psychiatric, psychological point of view, the opposite of love is actually indifference. I really just don't care. Like, what happens to you? Do I have an emotion about it one way or another? I don't care. Because I see a lot of couples, they get divorced, they break up, they say, I can't stand that person, I don't want to be that person, I don't want to have anything with that person. And they find out that that person is now on their deathbed. And they say, oh my goodness, they're going to die, I feel so bad for them. I'm going to go over there and apologize. I got to be there. I mean, I can't stand them. I, we were never good together as a couple, but they're going to die. I can let my guard down. I can show mercy at that time because I can see them as a human being and they will see me as a human being. I can might be able to tell them, hey, you know, please forgive me for whatever it was. We had our times. I know that we didn't get along, but I feel for you. Versus indifference where we say, I can take it or leave it. The person's going to die. Big deal doesn't mean, wow, you really don't care about that person anymore. Yeah, I really don't care. I told you they're not part of my existence. They're not part of my being. They're not part of my intellect. They're not part of, of anything of me at all. That's where there's no hope. By the Catholic definition, if you will, God is just not part of me. God, his mercy has nothing to do with me. I don't want any of that. That's the final sin. I don't know too many people that are there. I don't know too many people who uh, really feel that despair the way the church is defining it as having no hope in God by deliberately rejecting God. I don't feel I, I haven't seen that. I usually see when people say that they feel hopeless or they feel in despair. It's because they want to be forgiven by God. They just don't see that path. Let's look at the book of Revelation because this is also talking about that. Uh, this is Revelation chapter three, verses fourteen through twenty-two, and it says, "And to the angel of the church of Laodicea, I hope I pronounced that right, Laodicea." Um, right, so this is what they're telling St. John, the words of the amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of God's creation, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, indifferent, and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. So again, we see here, even in the scriptures, what does it mean to really be in despair? Is to be lukewarm, to not care. Notice that they lost their hope in God. And here it says that you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. My hope is in the riches of the world. My hope is in what I have. My hope is in, I don't need God because I have everything I need. That is when we reject God, the sin of despair, the sin of final despair is final impenitence, where we find ourselves before God in that last moment. I don't think too many of us are there. I think most of us have hope that, gosh, I hope God forgives me for this. Even if I feel like he might not, 
but I still carry that virtue. I might have the emotion of hopelessness, but the virtue of hope, the virtue of knowing that God is my salvation. God is the only one who can forgive my sins. Even if I don't see how that is because my mind is feeble, I still have my hope in God. Until next week, I hope that cleared up a few definitions. And as I always say, keep it Catholic.